everyone. Welcome to the next episode of Breaking Barriers, the Asian Vision podcast. We will be interviewing Samia Hassan, the Executive Director of CASA, the Council of Agencies Serving South Asians, which is an umbrella organization for agencies, groups, and individuals who offer services to the South Asian community. CASA envisions and strives for a Canada free of all forms of discrimination in which all communities are free from marginalization and are fully empowered to participate in defining Canada's political, economic, social, and cultural future. We're very honored to have Samia speak with us today. What I wanted to do is I wanted to do work closer to where the community is um, and I wanted to see what it would be like to work in the not-for-profit sector. Um, I really uh, enjoyed having the community aspect impact policy. So my my background is in policy um, and so I wanted to um, ensure that we can create policies that are reflective of the needs of the communities. Um, and so, I mean, we, as government, we, we did have, you know, consultations and those kind of things, but it was still, um, it was like government and then communities kind of a little bit removed from, uh, from the work that you're doing. So I wanted to um, join the not-for-profit sector um, and really understand the barriers uh, that, South Asian communities experience um, in, you know, fully participating um, and, and kind of, um, and also barriers to like their health and their well-being. Mm-hmm. And um, so I just, I joined CASA at that time and I've been here since, um, but I, uh, but I also, I, I think it's very important to bring that lens where you connect community to policy for real, um, you know, high level systemic changes. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that you see some like gaps between the community and the government policy. So we're wondering if you can list out like what uh, need you saw in the community that you you consider like as a problem for the South Asian community. Yeah, for sure. I think um, just generally there is there there is a lot of barriers that South Asian communities experience. Um, in in all levels of life. So whether it's getting access to social programming um, or recreational programming or um, access to good quality jobs that pay well or access to, um, you know, doing a curriculum um, or going through a curriculum uh, that they can fully understand and relate to um, access to healthcare that is culturally adapted to their needs, access to, um, you know, elected, uh, being an elected representative. Um, and then obviously there's also, those are like systemic issues that I saw um, that the communities were going through and um, not really having a lot of uh, resources uh, that they could utilize to really take advantage of and utilize services that are being provided to them. The second thing is um, there is obviously there is a lot of interpersonal racism that goes on towards South Asian communities. Um, and it depends on, you know, how you identify 
Um, if you have certain intersectional identities, you might face a lot more of that um, than others. So, um, you know, me being somebody who is visibly Muslim, um, I saw a lot of that that discrimination and racism happening. Um, and it was very like overt and, and visible to me. So um, I saw that as, as, a, as a big problem as well. And so all of these things, I think, um, you know, there's things that we're doing through research and advocacy to, to help break down some of these barriers, but um, obviously there's still a lot of work to be done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Our second question is, what challenges or obstacles have you faced as a South Asian leader and how did you overcome them? So in terms of challenges, again, I think um, being not just South Asian, but being a woman, um, being a visibly Muslim woman, being a mother, I think all of these things kind of intersect and, and how that kind of defines who I am and how that um influences how I navigate um, this this sector uh, impacts the challenges that I face. So um, obviously when I first started, so although the, the non-for-profit sector or the social service sector, um, generally service providers, um, there it's uh, there's a disproportionate number of women um, that are in the sector and that are providing service and care. However, when you look at who is at the executive and managerial level, it's mostly um, men that are that are there. So, despite you know the sector being um, a heavily female-dominated sector, we don't see a lot of that at at the higher executive level. So, when I became the executive director, I was only 28 at that time, and so there's not a lot of um, young female. Uh, executive directors that we see in the sector. So obviously there's a lot of um, questions and judgments about my ability to do this work and to to lead the organization. Um, And also questions about like, do I really want this? Um, Do I want to be in the sector where it's, uh, you know, at the executive level is very heavily dominated by men. Um, So there's a lot of um, stereotypes, a lot of judgments um, I would say is as one of the biggest challenges um, because if you don't have a strong support system, um, that can really get to you, and then that can really defer your decision to be a leader. Um, so, but I had I was I was fortunate enough to have uh, people from this sector that have been here for a long time, and they provide me a lot of guidance um, and and people from South Asian and other racialized communities. Like um, uh, I had mentors from the black community, the Asian community, um, Arab community. So it was it was really nice to see and to get to have that support system where I could go back and um, and ask questions and, and seek advice and those kind of things. Um, but I think generally for young people, as leaders, there's a lot of challenges that we face. I think the biggest thing is like people being um, judgmental or stereotyping us as not being competent enough, right? To yeah. to do that work, and then also being in uh, circles where there's non-racialized people, you face like different types of judgments. Um, so, and it's always a lot of 
pressure to act in a certain way or conform to how people perceive leadership to be. And so um, you have to be very confident in your own identity um, as a South Asian or as a Muslim or whatever, how you, however you identify um, and, and be strong and firm in that. And um and then you know show people um your leadership your leadership skills um so it took a while um took a few years for like just kind of um toiling the soil um you can say like in terms of convincing folks um building partnerships and um kind of doing a lot of things from scratch um because i've never held an executive director position before this one so it was my first and um it just required quite a bit of kind of building relationships and partnerships and trust mm-hmm. yeah it's really amazing that like you're playing this role as um a high as an executive director especially we feel like it's especially important uh to represent um female leaders um who um, like you and we feel like that is uh, one of the purpose of our own organization um, and I'm my follow-up question is how do you think your identity as a South Asian shaped your leadership style or shape you as a leader yeah I think it definitely did um, so I think one of the things that we really value as South Asians is the importance of collective uh, decisions, the importance of collective advocacy, the collect, the importance of doing things as a community. Um, and so that's one of the biggest values, I would say, that I brought into this the role um, where I work with or like as an organization through my relationships with partners and organizations and leaders. We try to do a lot of things collectively and as an advocacy organization, and your your um, group is also doing a lot of advocacy, and you'll see that it's a lot more impactful to do things um, collectively as opposed to kind of doing it in in silos. And ev- you know, everybody's doing the same thing, but nobody's like coordinating with each other. Nobody knows what the other groups are doing, and so everybody's like replicating the same thing over and over again. Um, and doing it that way, I think. Uh, reduces the kind of impact you can have. Whereas if we want, for example, to um, tackle anti-Asian racism, um, we would do like we would have people that are non-Asian to be part of that collective to support that work as well. And then on on the flip side of that coin, when other communities are facing um, racism or hate or discrimination, we're, we make sure that we're there on the table as well um, to support their causes, um, especially when it comes to anti-Black racism or anti-Indigenous racism. So I think that's one of the biggest things that I try to um, bring into the work of CASA is that notion of partnership, of collaboration, um, of doing things together as opposed to uh, values that um, you know that are driven by competition, or um, you know, uh, because we know in the sector there's not a lot of resources available. So uh, my my thing is like, why compete for the resources when we can share them, kind of thing. So um, I would say that's one of the values that I 
that I bring in as a South Asian woman. Um, and I think also the the identity of being a South Asian is 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 not uh, a monolith, right? So it's not one identity. So there's so many different people and cultures and languages and faiths. And we try to make sure that we're being inclusive to all of that. Yeah, definitely. I think it's really important for communities to come together to combat discrimination in um, modern societies like now. And it's still recognizable that there's separation between various racial communities. I think in terms of the Asian community, um, do you think there's, why do you think there's such a big difference between East and South Asian communities? Because our organization is um, mostly East Asian. Yeah, because I feel like a lot of the time, although like um, being like East Asian and South Asian being both like Asians, but we still see a lot of like separation among these two groups. So we're wondering like um, if this is uh, if you have noticed the same phenomenon uh, in your experience, and if so, do you think that this is an urgent issue that should be addressed? So I think um, there's two things. Um, there is, I think it's good to recognize that the term Asian itself is not, um, does not have one single identity, right? So like I said, even with the South Asian identity, um, there's so much diversity within it. And so I think it's important. And then also, if you do some research, you'll see that the term Asian is actually a colonial term. It was not a term that we gave ourselves. It was just to kind of lump all of us with all of our, um, you know, differences and diversity into one group and categorize us as, as that. But I think uh, we should be critical of that. And um, I think we should embrace our differences. Um, and But I mean, and celebrate them, right? So not... Um, we shouldn't use our or weaponize the differences. And I think sometimes what happens is um, the differences are weaponized. And so there starts to be kind of animosities between racialized communities. And so what we do as an organization is try to bring attention to the fact that the, the, this competition or animosity or whatever it is, um, it's not supportive to our cause of anti-racism or anti-oppression or social justice and it just um kind of pits us against each other and that's not where we want to go and that's not where we want to be and the only people that will benefit from this kind of rivalry or um you know or, or racism uh, internally are white supremacists because they will benefit and and we're all going to be the losers at the end of the day so um i think it's important to recognize that yes there is huge diversity and that could lead to differences in how we want to acquire services differences in how we participate in society different needs of each communities based on again like you know, intersecting forms of identities. However, at the same time, if there are certain things that are common, for example, in how we experience racism or how um, we don't have access to certain um, services or programs, then I think we can also work together. So 
what one of the things that we've done is we've created this collective of uh, racialized communities and uh, also religious minority communities um, to come together and tackle things like hate uh, because hate towards Asian groups, towards Muslims, towards black communities, towards indigenous communities, towards Jewish communities um, happens. There's similarities in how it happens and there are common policy changes that need to be made to protect these communities. So we've seen that as something that is common to all of our communities and we can come together and do our advocacy um, and our research and education and awareness collectively so that there is greater impact. Um, whereas, you know, things like Asian Heritage Month, which is coming up um, next month, like we could do our own, you know, celebrations of our individual cultures or practices or people um, or champions in our in our communities. Uh, and that's fine, too. So I think like there should be a balance of the two, like there should be recognition of what we can do collectively and also um, how we can be celebrated as as individual communities. Yes. Thank you. Also, thank you for bringing up um, like the aspect of like celebrating the embracing the differences but also like um, coming together to combat racial issues. What are what do you think are some next steps that um, leaders, young leaders should take um, to combat Asian hate in the future, Asian discrimination? Um, I think there's, so one of the things that we are seeing is there's been a lot of hate towards Asian communities online. Um, so we are actually working on a toolkit per se for young people to utilize to combat online hate. Um, so if there's ways for young people to build their capacity so that they could, um, you know, when they feel safe, they can start to combat you know individual instances of hate or even support each other so if they feel that their colleagues are being targeted because of their identity then um, finding out how they could possibly support in a safe way um, so we're actually coming out with a an app um, next month um, it's called the eradicate hate app and it's specifically for children and youth and we've put uh, resources there. There's some educational videos that we've created. There's a, a reflection game as well for people to really look internally if they hold any, um, you know, biases or racist views towards other communities. Um, and then there's um, there's exercises there, and there's a mental health component as well. So we're we're trying our best to create resources to build the capacity of young people, and I think. Uh, what young people can do is utilize these resources and support each other um, and, and really see how they can work with uh, other leaders and organizations that are doing anti-Asian racism work um, and, and bring that awareness to their communities and to their schools and, and universities and colleges. And so I think that young people have a lot of connections um, and a lot of influence on social media. So it would be really great for them to support like this ongoing work of anti-Asian racism through their networks.